Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, take your Bibles and open up with me to 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 is where we'll pick up the reading this morning. And as you do that, and as is our way here, out of respect for the Word of God, I ask you to stand as we read through the text uh, together, beginning at verse 13, and you can follow along there in your Bibles. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You may be seated. We're looking at a passage this morning that's going to give us three certainties. So I'm going to call these three certainties in an uncertain world. Like we struggle every morning when we get up. Everything seems a little bit more uncertain. We wake up. Um, someone says to you, did you know this and this had happened? Did you know this happened? And so we struggle with some of those uncertainties. But there are three certainties in this text, and here they are. They're tied to your salvation, they're tied to your prayers, and they're tied to your life, okay? Your salvation, your prayers, and your life. And as we talk about those, just let me kind of give you a fair warning, right? The warning is this. If you came in with doubts, potentially, about your salvation... Some of those might be cleared up today, and you might be comforted, okay? If you came in without any doubts about your salvation, but maybe you should have some, okay, that might go the other way this morning, and you'll see why in a second, all right? So we're going to talk through those issues. Let me talk first about your salvation. Your salvation is not based upon what you've done, but what Jesus did, and that's why it's secure, okay? Your salvation is not based upon what you've done, but what Jesus did. Uh, Depending on your religious background, where you grew up or where you went to church, you may have grown up thinking if you did enough good things, then that would suffice. None of the songs we started singing about this morning, nor those we sing about at the end of the service, none of those songs will give you that degree of confidence. It's all about what Christ did. It's all about the cross. It's all about the fact that we were needy, that we were sinners. You even heard that in Ron's prayer. Um, You get this idea that our salvation isn't tied to what we did, but what Christ has done. In fact, let me show you that in the text, if I could. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, okay? There's a strong confidence there, isn't there? But notice that that confidence in this text is tied to this idea that you would believe in the name of the Son of God. It doesn't say, I write these things to you so that you may know because of everything you did that you have eternal life. It's tied to believing in the name of the Son of God. 
Um, yesterday at a, at, the, at a funeral service, I communicated this idea that to believe in the name of the Son of God means not only that we believe the truths about what Jesus claimed about himself, but that we have to believe something about ourselves, that we're not the Savior. This text says, believe in the name of the Son of God. It doesn't say believe in yourself, right? Now, just for a moment, let that kind of settle in, because from the moment you walk out of this building this morning, everything outside of this building is going to tell you, just believe in yourself, okay? Amen. But that's not what this text says. That's what the world says. This text says, believe in the name of the Son of God. Your name isn't on that. Your name doesn't fill that blank. Only Jesus' name fills that blank. And so just let me show you that elsewhere in the text. In Acts chapter 4, we read, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel. This is Peter preaching when, when he's healed a man who was lame there, and that man has stood up. People of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, see it? There it is again. By the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he has no problem saying, you're the ones who did this, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This man stood up. Peter does not say, hey, I did this. I healed this man. He stood up because of what I did. Peter doesn't say, hey, I'm going to take an offering right now to my favorite nonprofit, me. Okay. Peter doesn't say any of that. Peter says instead, this was done by the name of Jesus Christ. And look what else he says. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There it is. So, your salvation is not based upon what you've done, but what Jesus did. Now, let me stop there for a second and talk about two phrases here, okay? One is eternal security, and one is what I'm going to call emotional security. You say, Phil, I've never heard of that emotional security word. I know, because that's because I made it up, all right? So, but I think it's going to work in a minute when I explain something to you. Now, depending on your religious background, how you grew up, if you grew up maybe over more on the Pentecostal side, you grew up believing that you could lose your salvation. And if you grew up over on the Baptist side, and maybe even on the Presbyterian side, Wherever you grew up, you might have grown up saying, once saved, always saved, never have to worry, okay? I can do whatever I want, and, and I'll always be saved, okay? And, and there's ways when we get out into those extremes that we kind of miss, the, we do miss, the essence of the truth of what God is saying. There is no question that if you are saved, you are eternally saved, right? Because it's not based upon what you did, it's based upon what Jesus did. In fact, let me show you that. And the way I'm going to describe it is this. Eternal security, that is, your salvation, is tied to Jesus' sacrifice. It is only tied to your neediness on your part. It's not tied to your accomplishment. Eternal security is tied to Jesus' sacrifice. And let me show you that, if I could, in, in the book of Romans. Now, Romans chapter 8 is such a great passage because it starts in chapter 8, verse 1 with this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, which means that when you were saved, God washed away your sins and that blood ran red and your sins were made white. In other words, what Christ did was a sufficient sacrifice to pay for all of your sins, past, present, future. At the end of Romans 8, we read this, just feel the security in this. 
What then shall we say to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, now at that stage, you might answer the question, well, maybe something can, and Paul's gonna answer that. Watch what he says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, here comes the list, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, okay. I'm just gonna tell you, if you trusted Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. The text is saying what? There is nothing in all of creation that can interrupt that. That's why we say we have eternal security. It's tied to Jesus' sacrifice. However, we also have what I'm gonna call emotional security. That is how we feel about our salvation. And that emotional security, or what I would call assurance, that element is impacted by your desires and your actions. Now, notice there's a distinction here. One is tied to, God tied it, it's based upon the sacrifice of Jesus, but the other is gonna be impacted. How you feel about your salvation is going to be impacted by your desires and your actions. And I'm gonna show you why, okay? In Galatians chapter five, this is what we read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, there it is. Remember, I said it's impacted by your desires and your actions. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In other words, these desires rage within you, and those desires that do not please God suddenly cause you to question or to doubt. Keep going. Now, the works of the flesh, see how the desires move over into deeds or works, are evident. And here they come. Sexual immorality. You may know this already, but the word sexual immorality, the Greek word for that is pornea, which it's not difficult to see pornography. Sexual immorality that we graphically see is pornography. So when a person struggles with that particular sin, and they keep surrendering to that particular sin, there's reasons why they would begin to doubt whether they're safe. Impurity, sensuality. You say, well, I don't struggle with any of those. How about this one? Idolatry. Which means when you start to long and think you'll be happy, if only you have a little bit more, okay, there's reasons why you would not feel confident in your salvation. Sorcery, uh, by the word, way, the word sorcery is the, the word that uh, we get pharmaceuticals from, meaning your dependence on, 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 um, on, on drugs that you should not be using, that, you can't t- that you're not allowed to use, that are illegal. Your dependence on those things is going to cause you to question your salvation. Keep reading. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Here it comes. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, just say it with me, will what? You say, okay, Phil, which is it? Okay. 
was I saved by Christ and that's eternal and that's eternal security? Or, or, or if I struggle with these things, then am I really saved? And the point of the matter is, and what you see in 1 John, is that it is the idea that I am practicing, I am resolute in the fact that I'm going to do these sins, I'm not struggling with them, I'm just going to say, I'm giving in and I'm never going to turn back, I'm just going to do them. That if that's your position, then you were never saved because that person can't inherit the kingdom of God. You say, Phil, what if I still struggle? What if I'm battling? What if I'm stumbling, but I'm trying, okay? Then we're gonna get to that at the end of the message, so just push pause right there and know that we're coming back to that. There's a short game and a long game to be played. We'll see that at the end, okay? So we have eternal security. It's tied to Jesus' sacrifice, how we believe about our salvation, and we have emotional security or assurance. It's impacted by your desires and your actions. Now, for just a moment, let me talk about that. And, and some of you I've told this story to be, before. So some of you say, Phil, I've already heard that. And you could be like my kids, and you could hold up your fingers for how many times you've heard it, okay? But a number of you have come to fellowship recently, and so it's probably the best way I can communicate this truth. Years ago, I had a, um, three decades ago when I was a campus pastor, I had a young girl walk into my office and, uh, and she was doubting her salvation, okay? And she sat down and she said, Pastor Moser, I have a question. Um, I've always doubted my salvation. And I said to her, hmm, so uh, just, just let me ask you, um, do you know why? She said, no, I don't know why. And I said, well, if you came into my office expecting me to say, let's just pray and make this settled right now. Let's just do this right now. We'll just pray the prayer and then you'll know you're saved, right? I'm not gonna do that. And I've never forgotten what she did. She put her head down and she looked up and she said, thank you, because I've done that a hundred times and I still struggle with doubting my salvation. So I said, here's what I want you to do. 1 John 5, 13 says, these things I have written to you that you may know you're saved, okay? So let's go back and just create a list in 1 John of the things that John had written because your salvation is tied to what Jesus did, but how you feel about it is tied to whether or not you're really living out the marks of a Christian. And I've never forgotten this. She came back the next week and uh, I said, here's what I want you to do. Write this column over here, the marks of a Christian out of 1 John, over here, my life. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Just if it's, if it's in your life. And she came back the next week, and a huge smile. She wasn't crying anymore, a huge smile. And she said, guess what? I know I'm saved. I said, wow, that's great. Tell me about it. And she slides this page. She said, but I gotta tell you something else. I also know why I was doubting. And I was not expecting that, honestly. And she said, look, here's my list. She listed about 12 things out of 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So quick confession of sin. Uh, she just listed fellowship of the brothers. She, she listed all these things, right? And she said, here's why I'm doubting. Yes, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. That issue right there. And she, the Holy Spirit allowed her to single out from the text the very reason she was doubting. Right? But she said, I know I'm saved. Right? I came to fellowship and I was counseling a, a couple years and years ago, and uh, this guy kept promising me he was saved, right? But I was looking at his life, and I wasn't seeing any marks at all, right? And he said, well, you know, when I was a child, I did that, so we don't have to talk about that. When I was a child, I did that, and I'm saying, man, your life's a mess. Like, you don't look like you're dependent on Christ at all, right? 
And so on one of those occasions where I was just meeting with him, I said to him, listen, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to go home. I got a simple assignment. Go home and mark down this list um, out of 1 John, marks of a Christian, because John said, these things have I written unto you that you may know you're saved. And, and, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down those things. Over here, put your name, and then put yes, no, yes, no, just see if those marks are in your life. Right? And that man came to me a week later, nervous, nervous, so nervous, like he, he was nervous, standing at the door. He said, are we ready to meet? Are we ready to meet? Are we ready to meet? I said, sure, like uh, we can meet. I said, um, he said, I, I need to meet right now. I said, why do you need to meet right now? And he said, because I'm not saved. Okay. I said, Really? How do you know that? He said, look at my list. Okay, he pulls it up. He had no marks of being a believer. Now, it's not the marks that make you a believer. It's the marks of a believer that reveal you are a believer. Because your desires are changing. Your deeds are changing. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means that when you do sin, you're broken by the sin. And and you don't want to stay in that same capacity. This is the point. One is eternal security, that's based upon Christ dead. One is emotional security, that's the assurance that we have that's tied to whether or not we're growing rightly through our desires and our actions. Here's the second idea. Your prayers will be answered when you pray according to His will. Your prayers will be answered when you pray according to His will. Now, when I first say that, you might be thinking, Phil, that sounds nonsensical. That sounds like a snake oil salesman selling something, right? Like, like listen, pray according to his will, and then your prayers are answered. So it's, it, it looks like all your prayers are always answered because all a guy's got to say is, oh, it wasn't in your will, right? I don't think that's the point of the text. It's true, but I don't think that's the point of the text. Notice the text. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, now for just a moment, understand this. Then when it comes to our prayers, when it comes to our prayers, the focus shouldn't just be on us getting the request out. The focus has to be on whether or not we're really surrendering to his will. The disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. In Luke's account, it actually has where Jesus was praying, and they knew where he was praying, so they came to teach us to pray, and Jesus said, let me teach you how to pray. And we call this the what prayer? The Lord's Prayer, but it isn't really the Lord's Prayer, it's the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray, and by way of connection, teaching us how to pray. So I just want you to see how Jesus teaches them to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Say the next part with me. Thy, oh, whoa, there it is. Thy will be done. It is Jesus saying, when you pray, you want to pray that God's will would be done. By the way, um, say the rest of it with me. Thy will be done where? Okay. Are we in heaven yet? So we're still on earth struggling to submit our will, the Father's will. This is one of the things that's most missed in prayer. Um, I'm looking for our kids who are still in here. Where are, where are the children who are normally are out, but they're here? Okay, I'm going to teach you to pray, and so you can go home, and you can teach mom and dad to pray. You ready for this? Okay. What I want you to do, if you're one of our kids who's normally uh, out in a class, but you're in here today, is I want you to spell the word pray for me. Can you do that? Say it with me. P-A-Y, okay? P-R-A-Y. In fact, whenever I pray, usually I try, 
this, this pattern balances my prayer life. So here it is, pray. Praise, repent, ask, yield, okay? So praise, I'm gonna praise the Lord at some at the beginning of my prayer. Repent, I'm gonna talk about that in a second, ask and yield. Now, we've just said we want to pray according to his will. So I'm gonna get there in a second. But just note this, praise is what God has done. Repent is what you haven't done. Ask is seek the resources needed and yield is seek his will over yours, okay? So we have a what and we have a seek. What God has done, what you haven't done, with the resources that are needed and seek his will over yours, okay? Now, this is important. So we just start with what God has done. And I'm thinking of a passage that says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So if you think of yourself and say, well, I don't really feel very good about myself. I don't really feel, you just need to pause and say, I shouldn't start by trying to feel better about my self-esteem. I should start by simply saying, God made me and I am fearfully and wonderfully made even though I might not think that at times I am. And so I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise God for what he's done. And we can also praise God for who he is. But for the purpose of this morning, let's just say we're gonna praise God for what he's done. Repentance means we're gonna consider what you haven't done. That there should be a time in your prayer where you just don't say, Lord, thank you for this day and and whatever, whatever, and, and amen. There should be a time where we actually pause and say, Lord, Convict me of things in my life that I haven't done. Convict me. Show me where I'm sinning so that I can repent. Repentance is this idea that I turn. I'm not going to continue to pursue this. I'm going to turn, okay, from that and go the direction God wants me to. Ask us seeking the resources that are needed. And just for a moment, just take... This is a great homework assignment. Just go home and read through the various... Just Google prayers of Scripture... And you will find that we ask pretty superficially for physical things. But the prayers of Scripture are often loaded for our need for spiritual resources. Like Colossians chapter 1, where Paul is praying and he says, I pray that you would bear fruit in every good work, increase in the knowledge of God, be strengthened with all power, graciously, thankful, joyfully giving thanks. He, he's talking to their, the resources they need spiritually. To live for God. So we should seek those resources. And finally, yielding means we seek his will over ours. Now, when you go home, kids, P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, yield, okay? If you're under 12 this morning, just say that with me. P is praise, R is repent, A is ask, Y is yield. And the point is, I think we spend the bulk of our prayer right here. And I want to encourage you to begin to put more of your prayer time here, right? If you want to know um, what God really wants to accomplish in your prayer life, it's that you would begin to seek his will over yours. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that from the scriptures. When Jesus is praying fervently, passionately in the garden, so much so that uh, his body begins to sweat drops of blood, which means his physical and emotional parts of him are, are, are so stressed out that the body basically is, is the capillaries are bursting through his sweat glands, okay? It, it's an it's incredible, incredible amount of stress. But in that moment, he is saying, not my will, but yours be done. See what Jesus is doing? He is giving up what he wants for the Father's will. And how about Paul? 
The Apostle Paul, who pled with the Lord three times that he, he would be, get rid of this thorn in the flesh over and over again. He says, Lord, I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. You say, what is that thorn in the flesh? And the truth of the matter is the Spirit of God never revealed that so that you can take whatever your thorn in the flesh is and put your thorn in the flesh right there and have Paul's same response, which says, when God said, I will not remove it because my grace is sufficient for you, Paul has to say, then I'll submit to you. There is a yielding that should take place in our prayer life. It's not about your prayers will be answered if you pray according to his will. It's about God is working through your prayer time so that you and I would learn to yield and submit to his will, right? It's beautiful, beautiful. That's the idea. One final one. Your life is in danger when you insist in doing things your way, not God's. Now, your salvation is not based upon what you've done, but what Jesus did. We have eternal security. We have emotional security. Your prayers will be answered when, when you pray according to his will. And here's the last one. Your life is in danger when you insist on doing things uh, your way, not God's. Uh, oh, before I get there, let me back up. Let me cover some other things, and then we'll come back to that third point. One writer says, the fundamental, I want to go back to prayer for just a second because I, I need to make one more connection for you. The fundamental characteristic of all truly Christian intercession is that the will of the person who offers prayer should coincide with God's will. This verse, that is, ask anything and it, it, it will be given to you, does not mean that if a believer is sincere, God will answer his prayer. Sometimes our desires are not God's desires for us. Sometimes what we want is not what our Heavenly Father wills. Faith will accept that God's will is best, and it will, I love this, trust his plan and purpose, even if it does not understand it. In other words, you're not going to be able to get to yielding in your prayer time until you begin to grow in your trust of God. We're only going to surrender and give up our will when we trust someone. And GodQuestions.org kind of carries the same idea. It says, when we pray thy will be done, we acknowledge God's right to rule. Asking that God's will be done is a demonstration of our trust that he knows what is best. It is a statement of submission to God always in his plans. We ask for our will to be conformed to his will. And that is how we get to this idea about prayer. And this is the confidence. Verse 15, we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request we have asked of him. All of that confidence is based upon trust in God. If you need to yield to submit in an area of your life, then you've got to grow in your trust of God to submit in that area of your life. Amen. A number of years ago, um, when my kids were much, much younger, and uh, they were children, and they had these questions about God. They, uh, the two middle kids um, came to faith in Christ when they were very young, and they, they, had, they, they, they had this question like, how could they believe in this God that they couldn't see? Right. And so I took uh, my daughter first and then my son, and I put them on a chair, and I, uh, I blindfolded them. And I said, here's what I want you to do. The, can you see me? And they said, I can't see you. I said, on the count of three, I want you to jump to me, right? And uh, I can still remember Anna through the blindfold. I could see her eyes completely covered, and there's a smile on her lips, like I'm going to jump to my dad, and I can't even see him, right? Okay? I said, one, two, three. She jumped to me, and it was like a human octopus, just, okay? I didn't even have to catch her. She was just stuck to me like Velcro, okay? I remember I took her, when I peeled her off me, I put her back on the chair, took the blindfold off, 
And I said, you couldn't see me, so why did you jump to me? And she said, she said, because you're my dad and I believed your words. That's trust in God. You are believing in a God that you cannot see. But you look at how the Bible declares him, you look at how the Bible speaks of him, and you say, this is the God that I will trust. And so the things that I really, really want, I'm willing to submit to him. I'm willing to surrender to him. Now that brings us to the last idea, and here it is. I touched on it lightly already. Your life is in danger when you insist in doing things your way, not God's. And there's this passage at the end that can feel troublesome, right? When you first read it, you might be alarmed, and you might say, uh, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, that's this idea of a sin that is leading to death, right? The end of that passage, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that we should pray for that. Like, when you first read that, you're thinking, what if I've done the sin? What if I've done the sin? What if I've done the sin? And I want to remind you again that it isn't about the fact that we don't stumble, and it isn't the fact that we haven't lived a perfect life. It's the fact that our confidence is in Christ for our salvation, but we are laboring at the process of growing away from sin, not being satisfied to just sit in it all the time. And that's the idea here. For we read a little later, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. If you want to know, rather than try to figure out what the sin is in your life, ask yourself, do you keep on sinning or do you fight it? Do you keep on sinning or do you say, I don't care anymore? Do you just keep on sinning? In fact, I love the way the ESV Study Bible captured this. He said, there is a sin that leads to death, is unrepented of, and that kind that John has warned about throughout its letter resolute rejection of the true doctrine about Christ. We have to believe certain things about Christ. Um, chronic, uh, chronic disobedience to God's command, persistent lack of love for fellow believers, all indications of a lack of saving faith, which will not be forgiven. You're not saved if you are resolute, chronic, and persistent in your sin. You shouldn't be saying, well, I made that decision when I was eight years old. I don't have to worry. No, you should be worried, right? Because the true believer, the one truly born of God is stepping away from that. You're not, you're not, you don't want to stay in it. You're not resolute. You're not chronic. You're not persistent. It doesn't mean you're perfect. So, so think with me about this, if you could, for just a moment. I want to introduce you to, you say, well, Phil, um, I still struggle, okay? So just let me ask for a show of hands here, okay? How many of you have a sin that you've kind of on and off a little bit all your life, you still at times struggle with it, or at least you would acknowledge that in the course of the last week, you sinned someplace? Can I see your hands? Okay, great. Okay, look around, look around, look around. Um, Everybody's got their hands up, aside from a few who might have been sleeping, or are total hypocrites, okay? Uh, I don't know which they are, right? Everybody's got their hands up, which means we still struggle with sin in this world. But if we give ourselves to it resolutely, chronically, persistently, we ought to ask the question, does God really indwell us? Not that we lost our salvation, because we can't, but maybe we were genuinely never saved. We need to wrestle with that. Because God has empowered you to do this. 
So let me give you a short game, which is the short game, I mean, what you're going to have to do tomorrow morning when you wake up, okay? And then I'm going to give you the long game, okay? The short game's tied to what we do. Uh, Philippians says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out like you're safe, so work it out, okay? And I want to show you that in 1 John chapter 2, a passage uh, that we worked through months and months ago now. For there we read, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So whatever your sin is that you're struggling with, tomorrow morning when you wake up, whatever it is, uh, you can even work on it this afternoon. You don't have to wait till tomorrow morning, okay? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, I want you to ask, um, I want you to consider these three phrases with three phrases I'm going to give you, okay? Here they are. The desires of the flesh is what feels good. The desires of the eyes is what looks good. The pride of life is what makes me look good. It's about as simple as I can make it. It's what feels good, what looks good, what makes me look good. Whatever your sin that you have struggled with, I can almost promise you it falls in one of these three motivations. It feels good, that's why you do it. It looks good, that's why you're drawn to it. And it makes you look good to other people. That's why you keep hiding. That's why you keep doing what you're doing. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, let me just unpack for you why that's so dangerous. If we only pursue what makes us feel good, then as a Christian, we have no means to deal with suffering in such a way that it grows us. Remember, Romans 5 says, for we rejoice in our sufferings, for suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. But if you only pursue what makes you feel good and you see suffering, then you get away. You step away from the suffering as opposed to saying, I don't have an answer for it, but if God chooses for me to go through it and suffer, then that's what I'll do. I'm not always chasing what makes me feel good. What looks good the great challenge in growing in your Christian life is what looks good is like a distraction. Remember in the Up movie when the dog, when the dog said squirrel and he'd look, he'd be distracted all the time, okay? This is the world of what looks good. You and I are distracted by everything around us. Oh, I like that car. Oh, I like, wow, I like that outfit. I like that. I like that. Hmm, man, I really need one of those. And the problem with that is that to grow in your Christian faith, we know this. The faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. Which means if you're going to grow in your faith, it's not about looking down here at what looks good. It's growing and understanding that we have a growing confidence in what is not seen. Everything down here that we say, well, that looks good, is like squirrel, 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 squirrel. Okay. In fact, that would probably be a great way for you to do that. When you walk out of here today and you say, and, and, and some of our younger ladies say, man, I like that outfit. I wonder where she got that. I really need to get that outfit. Just say, squirrel. Okay. That's exactly what happened. When you walk out of here and you say, man, I like that guy's car. Squirrel. Okay. That's how it happened. Right? You were distracted from learning to have confidence in what is not seen. You want to know the short game? Tomorrow morning when you get up and you start scrolling on your phone, it's like squirrel, 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 squirrel. You are not looking at anything that is unseen. You're only looking at what is seen. And sooner or later, you're going to fall into that temptation. And then there's this last one. 
pride of life is what makes me look good. This is why you and I do not confess sin, James 5.16. Confess your sins, uh, ex homilageo, uh, homilageo, the same to speak, ex, speak out about your sin. This is why we don't confess sins to other people, because we're afraid of what they would think of us, and it will not make us look good. Right? That pride of life is always going to set you up to fall again. This is the short game. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, what feels good, what looks good, what makes me look good, that's problematic. Okay. And I love this. This is so amazing. Look at how this text unpacks it. After all of that, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, and the world. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You want to wake up tomorrow morning and grow as a Christian in the will of God, you've got to learn in the short game to say no to those three things. You say, Phil, what's the long game? This is beautiful. Look back with me at 1 John. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Here it comes. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This is great. He who was born of God protects him. Who protects who? Well, it can't be you protecting yourself here because everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. In fact, most scholars believe that the reference here is to Christ's incarnation, that he who was born of the Holy Spirit and placed in Mary's womb, who was born of the Holy Spirit and born of the woman, was born of God, protects him. In fact, you could just put Jesus' name in there, but Jesus protects him and the evil one does not touch him. All of those songs we sung about Jesus this morning and what he did, do you understand that he is still protecting? He is still protecting you. And the evil one cannot touch you. And now it makes sense, doesn't it? That if I'm worried about what looks good, what feels good, what makes me look good, it's not that Satan is after me, it's that my heart is drawing me away to those kinds of things and I'm not confident in the fact that Jesus himself died for me and will protect me and the evil one does not touch me. There's a short game and there's a long game, which is why Paul says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say you'll be faithful. He says, he doesn't say you'll be perfect. He says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, concentrate on your short game, but know this, that the end of your life, because your salvation was eternally secure, God will have grown you and developed you in such a way that he alone gets the glory. We're going to close this morning with singing a song. Well, we're going to sing several songs because you just don't want to talk about the gospel of Christ like that without letting your voice and your heart just unite and sing about all that Christ did and who we are. There's three certainties in an uncertain world. Here they are. Your salvation is not based upon what you've done, but what Jesus did. Your prayers will be answered when you pray according to his will, and your life is in danger when you insist on doing things your way, not God's. But as we sing this morning, I want you to remember that it's not based upon what you did. 
It's based solely upon what Christ did. Every song we sing, just kind of meditate that right through the song, that you and I are needy. We're needy. We can't begin to live this life without Christ. But because He is so faithful, we can find confidence, not in who we are, but who He is. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible Mulligan
We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.